0: Welcome everyone to Ageing Fearlessly. This is Karen Sander and this week I thought we'd get into a little bit of creatives. Instead of talking about mental health and things to do with ageing, my guest is an author and her name is Ashley Calagian Blunt. Welcome Ashley. Hi Karen, thank you so much for having me on today. It's really great to actually have you on because Only a few weeks ago, you were on my story room, Oz, and wow, you just wooed that audience. Well done, you. Oh, well, thank you. It was a fabulous audience, I have to say. It's just such a great event that now, it's like, it's taking over my life, (laughs) Um, but I'm absolutely loving having guests like yourself get up and tell a story, but then to be able to double up with a podcast about what you actually do allows me to deep dive more into Ashley.
1: Well, thank you. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, I'm the author of two books. I'm originally from Canada, so you might hear my accent, so funny. Uh, So I'm originally from Canada. I moved to Australia, uh, it's 11 years ago now. Wow. Just a little Uh, while. you're almost it's just a little while ago. It's ten, you're ten, ten years. You're almost I'm getting ahead of myself. You're, you're yeah. almost alive. <laughs> almost. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. The accent won't budge, but I am trying. Um, yeah, and I've always—I was, you know, as a little kid who always wanted to write. And uh, when I moved here, I was, um, you know, trying to figure out my career. I was in my late twenties, and I really just um, wanted to see if I could give writing a go. And and yeah, and I'm now the author of two books. That is some achievement because so many
0: people say, I'm going to write a book. And they say it again, I'm going to write a book. But they never actually put, let's term it, pen to paper or their fingers to the <laughs> keyboard, whichever you like. But they don't actually take the time to plan it and execute. So well done you in, in writing too. i I've only written one. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know
1: whether I'm going to go for number two, but we'll see. Oh, okay. Well, you, you're doing a lot. You're putting a lot of things out into the world, Karen. So I think you're still exercising your creativity in many ways. Yes. So Ashley, you arrived from Canada. I arrived from Canada. It was February 2011. And we, I came with my husband. He's also Canadian. I had spent eight years convincing him to give living outside of Canada a try. In that time, I had gone and lived in Asia. I'd gone and lived in Latin America for a couple of years. I'd learned to speak Spanish. And I really still, you know, we dated for four years when I lived in Canada. And I really loved him and I really wanted to marry him. But I really felt like he, he, I was a military kid. So I grew up all over Western Canada. He grew up in a small town outside of Winnipeg. And then when he went to university, he moved into Winnipeg. So he moved about 25 kilometers and that was his whole world. That was his, his whole world. I was like, I just need you to experience a bit more of the world. So after eight years, we finally convinced him. His, his uh, stipulation was that we went somewhere English-speaking. And I wanted to go somewhere warm because I do not like Canadian cold. Canadian winter, where we're from, goes to minus 40 degrees Celsius. So. I I wanted to get away from that. So yeah, so we came, we had a one year visa, I was doing a master's degree at the University of Sydney, which allowed him to uh, get a full time job, which is what he wanted to do. So uh, we arrived for that one year. And I really believed, you know, we'd stay for a year, and then he would want to go back to Canada. And we would probably end up in, you know, Toronto or Vancouver, somewhere that's not quite as cold. Um, But he loved it here. He really, really loved it here. And as soon as he had a job, he felt really, really happy and his job was great. And he, he was the one who actually pushed to stay uh, at first and uh, yeah, and we're still here. And that's 11 years down the track. Yeah. Yeah. So so you're almost a local. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel so my, my second book is called how to be Australian and I feel like that book was the process of me, making the effort to become a local like it's it was about developing an Australian identity That's it's it's what I I I eventually realized that you know my husband has a very traditional career he was an accountant for a long time he was sort of on a track to become a CFO and we like I wanted to live the kind of life where we moved around you know I I'd been moving around without him and I had kind of you know there was a tiny hope that he would fall in love with you know moving to new countries and experiencing new things which of course he didn't he was very happy to stay in Australia though and I thought well you know I really love it here as well could I could I stay here but I started to feel really kind of dislocated in this I think because you know I'd lived in South Korea I'd lived in Peru I'd lived in Mexico I thought Australia was just going to be hot Canada like I really thought oh this is going to be so easy and actually the longer we stayed, the more I realized, no, there's all these differences and they're, they're small, but they all add up. And I, I started to feel really like I didn't belong basically and was struggling, I was struggling to find a career. And uh, yeah, so I, I wrote this book about how I worked really hard. I traveled to every state. I you know, read all these history books. I, I, and I made this effort to talk to locals about like, what does it mean to you to be Australian? And, uh, and I put this all into this book called how to be Australian. And it really did help me feel grounded here. I feel really grounded. What was one of the hardest things about becoming Australia or being Australian? Oh, one of the hardest things I still struggle with this is, is the humor, is the sense of humor. I, cause Aussies, like, I love that Aussies love a good joke. Like that's fantastic. But Aussies will joke about things in such a serious way that often I can't tell that they're joking. <laughs> and, and, this happens with both, like, people I've just met and, and with really good friends. Like, they'll say these things, they'll say these jokes, and they say them so seriously that I'm just like, oh, wow, like, I didn't, and then, and then they kind of look at me funny, and I realize they're joking, and it's really dislocating to not be able to tell when people are joking. You know, it's funny because I have a lot of
0: English friends, and they don't think we have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> The English have a very particular sense of humour. They've got a whole different thing going on. I, I do love it because here in Australia too, we grew up with a lot of English comedy and, uh, mm. you know, you do you do get to understand a lot of the English, English um, humour. I think when you spoke at Story Room Oz, told your story, you mentioned some of the terminology, the language that we use here. Do
1: you want to elaborate yes. a
0: little bit on that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, when I, when I was, when I, the story, different story, Oz is one of my, my favorite bits, and it's actually a story that's in my book. It's about when I went up to the NT and I discovered uh, this book called What a Croc, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. Uh, the book, it's just headlines, front, front pages from the NT uh, news, which is, which is one of the best newspapers in the world, in my opinion. One of the stories, one of the headlines was, this man stuck a cracker up his clacker. And I was like, (laughs) I I kept reading. and And then the photo was a picture of a man drinking a beer and there was a snake wrapped around the beer. And so I assumed that the snake had to be part of, like, I was trying to be like, which what did he do to the snake? (laughs) It was, so I had to text a friend of mine and be like, can you explain what this means to me? Like there's still still whole sentences that I do not understand. So yes, I eventually learned what the man actually did. It had nothing to do with the snake. Yeah. It's funny, you know,
0: things like, Oh, you're a galah, you know, you've obviously (laughs) heard that one before. Um, Mm And you know, there's, there's um, so many things like, you know, we've got some chooks down in the backyard. I know my Canadian friends, when I used to go skiing over there, go, what's a chook? <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: you know, we're having chook for dinner tonight. What, well, what, what are you eating? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Or even phrases like in the office phrases, like, like take a squiz or even like the, the knock on effect isn't a term that we have in Canada. It's a, you know, it's a rugby term. So um, there, there were certain phrases where I'm like, Oh, I have to like, I have to figure out what that means. Like, Sometimes I could guess from the context, but sometimes I guessed wrong. And even terms like a fortnight, like my husband didn't know what a fortnight was when we first moved here. So he had to kind of look that up and be like, Ooh, what are they talking about? Yeah,
0: I know it's, um, and I'm sure many countries have sort of their own, well, it's almost their own, um, um, I want to say dialogue. What's the word I'm having a brain freeze here. Um, Like their own slang. Yeah. Um, yeah. But slang, what is it? Um, like oh, dialect dialect Thank you. I'm 65 and sometimes the <laughs> filing cabinet works way too slowly. You know, I don't access those you know it's rolling over and it it'll come to me in
1: five minutes but it goes on to the slow mode. <laughs> but really interestingly actually there was research done that shows that Canada has about 3000 of its own terms like you know, uh, and those might be only used in certain parts of Canada. In comparison, Australia, which has a smaller population, has 10,000 unique terms. So Australia actually does have a lot more slang.
0: Well, I think some of our slang too has come from uh, the English coming here from 1788 on with the first settlement. And, you know, much of the language has evolved since then. Because And we've also had many of the 10-pound poems that came out in the middle of, you know, in the 1900s, Um, to Australia. We've been inundated with the POMs coming here, and the languages come with them as well. So it's evolved with all of
1: their help on top. So your second book. Ah, So my second, How to Be Australian was my second book. My first book was titled My Name is Revenge, and it came out in 2019. And it's it's a very, very, very different book. So the, you know, the Happy Australian is a memoir. It's fun. It's very lighthearted. It's comedic. And I wrote it for Aussies. It's about, you know, the experience of coming to Australia, but I wrote it to sort of show Aussies like what that's like. But my first book is called My Name is Revenge, and it is in two parts. The first part is a thriller, and it's set in uh, the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Yeah. And it begins with a historic event, like a true event, uh, which was... Uh, in December 1980, the Turkish Consul General to Australia, like Sydney based, was assassinated along with his bodyguard in broad daylight. And a terrorist group phoned the local radio station to take credit for the crime. And it turned into what was at the time like Australia's first international assassination on Australian soil. It was the first uh, it was Australia's biggest manhunt. There was a quarter million dollar reward in 1980 that has since been raised to a million dollars because that crime is still unsolved. I was very interested in that crime because that was one of 200 acts of terrorism that took place around the world between the 1970s and 1980s sort of petered out in the in the 90s and it's it's a a series of terrorist attacks that aren't discussed a lot today but are still really I think uh, important because they were protesting the denial of the Armenian genocide which is still uh, you know a significant geopolitical um, aspect of relationships between Turkey and other countries. So the Armenian genocide happened during World War I. There was as many as 1.5 million Armenians killed. Uh, My great-grandparents were two of the survivors. They both lost pretty much their entire families. And that is where my interest in that event started. So the book starts with this thriller where I I basically write it from the point of view of the terrorists, imagining the um, circumstances that drove them to commit that assassination in Bakloos. And then the second half of the book then delves into the history. So it delves into my great grandparent's story. It delves into um, the sort of really fascinating history between Australia and uh, the Armenian genocide. So, you know, the genocide started on April 24th, 1915. And that date, which, you know, rings some bells, It's not a coincidence that that's the day before Anzac Day. The Armenian Genocide started that day because the Ottoman government knew that the Anzac troops were coming and the the Ottomans thought they were going to lose.
0: Mm. So you've done a lot of research, obviously, to get the facts right for your book.
1: Yes, that book I spent uh, from when I started researching to when that book was published was nine years. And a lot of that there was a lot of research. I interviewed over 150 people on three continents. Um, I did. I have two master's degrees, both of which were connected to a better understanding the Armenian Genocide. So, yeah, there's a lot of research. Into oh, that. my. Like,
0: wow. Like, you know, there's writing a book and then there's the research to writing the book. I take my hat off to you. It's, uh, that's <laughs> a huge, huge feat that you've managed. You. And two masters. So
1: your masters are? The first one was in cultural studies, and I wrote a thesis on uh, understanding Armenian diasporan identity. So there's a lot of Armenians who are born, say, here in Sydney or like my, my family in Canada. They've never been to Armenia, but they still have a very, very strong sense of Armenian identity. And I wanted to understand, like, how does that work? Because I wasn't, I wasn't raised in an Armenian community, so I don't, I didn't grow up with that sense of identity, and I sort of felt like I'd missed out on that. So. I, I wanted to understand like the how does how does this work and that was really fascinating and then the second one looked at uh, the Armenian genocide in Australian literature and how it's been portrayed here uh, and there's a few there's a few really great books including one by Joan London um, that that deal with the Armenian genocide so
0: well congratulations two masters two books that's absolutely huge this is Karen Sander from Aging Fearlessly and today I'm speaking with Ashley Collegium Blunt and we're talking a little bit about creativity besides publishing and writing now what are you actually doing as a career?
1: Well that's an interesting question because I at one point about six years ago I decided that what I wanted to do was give writing my absolute best shot and there was an opportunity to work for an organization called Writing New South Wales, which is the state writer center. So it's a not for not for profit organization. Every state has a state writer center across Australia. Um, so, yeah, writing writing New South Wales, there was a job posted there and my background was in education. I had been involved in teaching for 10 years, uh, mostly with adults. That's what I did in, when I was living abroad. And so I like, knew teaching I new curriculum design. And this job was basically working uh, to program courses, like writing courses. So for mm-hmm. people like myself who wanted to learn how to write. And it, so it was working with, you know, a wide variety of Australian authors and being part of the writing community. And so because it was not for profit, it was like not very well paid. But I was lucky that I was in a position where, you know, my husband had a, who had a great job and a stable career. So I said, okay, I'm gonna literally take a 50% pay cut to go work for this organization. And that was a really, really great decision. And I still work there. I I work, I do work very limited hours now, partly because I'm pursuing my writing, partly because I've since um, been diagnosed with a chronic illness, which is a whole different thing. Because I was able to do that, I was able to learn the industry inside and out. And so that choice, Uh, really really helped me but I now know that even if I didn't have the opportunity to work at Writing New South Wales even if I you know I couldn't have taken that pay cut and I had to stay in my in my other job I still could have benefited from all their programs there's such a robust and vibrant writing community in Australia and now with COVID so much of it has moved online so you can access like so many great events across Australia just bookshops are putting their author talks online uh organizations like writing new south wales and writers victoria are doing talks that are free for everyone so you can access all of that stuff so as far as look if someone was wanting to write and we're talking about i want to talk about
0: people like similar ages to me that aren't now having to work full time and they may have said that one day i'm going to write a book how do they get this creative process going?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. And I, working for Writing New South Wales, I've met so many people in that exact position who have said that exact thing, who have said, you know, I always wanted to write, but I got busy with my career. I got busy with my kids. And now all of a sudden they find themselves either approaching retirement or in retirement and they have the time and they really want to pursue this thing. So that's, that's really, really common. And... I think I think the first thing is finding those organizations who are there to support you. Like these organizations exist to support you. So it's like State Library New South Wales. Again, like they're doing lots of panel talks with writers bringing them online. You can uh, um, go you can go go to any independent bookstores. Independent bookstores are amazing. Go to any independent bookstore and say, these are the kind of books I'd like to read. These are the kind of books I'm interested in writing. What What would you recommend me? You know, like what authors are active in this space right now in Australia, and where can I find out more about them? You know, and then listen to like your favorite authors giving a talk. There's like crime authors. There's there's a there's at least two great crime writers organizations in Australia. There's a romance writers organization in Australia. So just find the space where there's people doing what you want to do in whatever space that is. You know, there's a History Writers Association. There's Historical Fiction, uh, the Writers Association. Find people doing what you want to do and then, and then connect with people. And that's, uh, for me, that has been the best part about writing. And and I wrote an article about four years ago now, before I got my books published. And I in the point of the article was, I have met the best people and had like just felt so connected to the writing community that I will keep writing, you know, for the rest of my life, whether or not I ever ever get published.
0: And of course a lot of people think, oh, I have to find a publisher, or if I write this book, what's gonna happen to the book afterwards? How do I find a publisher? Where do I someone who's written a book? You you learn there are a lot of things to understand. Everything from covers to fonts to editing, you get started and, and you find in the end that the writing is probably the easy part. It's what comes after. <laughs> but for you, yeah. like self-help books, as biographies, autobiographies, all sorts, but the different genres, you've
1: played around with lots of different genres, correct? Mm-hmm. But like I said that first book is is the first half is a thriller so it's like a crime book uh, I mean it's about that assassination and then the second half is a series of essays uh, so they're you know memoir they mix memoir and history and journalism uh, and those have been published in some of Australia's literary journals but I've also written for the Sydney Morning Herald I've written for uh, the Australian my most recent book how to be Australian is is like I said it's it's, it's comedic. it's it's like Bill Bryson. Um, um, and so to, to do that, I was actually doing stand-up comedy to, like, learn how to do comedic writing. So that was another way that I sort of, like, thought, you know, I really want to pursue this. Uh, how can I connect with people and how can I be in a space where comedy is happening? I've often thought it would be interesting to do
0: a course in learning to be a stand-up comic
1: um, that's exactly what I did. And did you love it? I did. I really did. I am. Um, it was really funny because my husband, who's like, I've always loved being on stage and I'm, you know, very, that's a very comfortable place for me. But my husband had a lot of like fear of public speaking. And so he um, he found this comedy course in Sydney. It was like, a, you know, six week, one evening a week sort of thing. And he was like, Oh, this seems like something you'd be really good at. You should try it. <laughs> uh, he's like, I think you should sign up. And I was like, okay. So I signed up for it. And then like three weeks later, right? Like right before the course started, he's like, I think I'm going to sign up for this course too. <laughs> so I knew all, I was like, Oh, okay. You just wanted to sign up for it. You didn't want to do it alone. Did he enjoy it? He did. He did. So the end of the course, there was this optional, like they organized a night in a pub and it was sort of like, you had your five minutes and you could invite all your family and friends. And it was optional. Um, but we both did it. And I like I I had so much fun that night that I immediately was like, I'm gonna going to start going open mic nights and, you know, working on my working on my routine. My husband, it was like he did it that one time. He was really glad he did it. But he was like, that's it. I don't need to do that again. But it did help give him confidence. You know, when he's doing a presentation at work, that's a lot easier now.
0: It's probably hard to. Stand up and do comedy because you're expecting that people are going to laugh, and if they don't laugh, oh my god, what do you do then? You must
1: break into a sweat and feel, oh, what do I do now? I took the attitude, and I I was lucky because this is this just came naturally to me. But my attitude was like, I'm here to have fun. So when I got up on stage, I was there to have fun, and like I knew my material was decent. Like I worked hard at it. So you know, I had one time where the whole five minutes I was on stage, nobody laughed like at all. But I've used a lot of those same jokes with other audiences. And this is one of the secrets of standup is as long as you have decent material, like you're okay. But the person before you sets the tone, like that's why they always have an MC warming the audience up. Because if the person before you is really funny, the audience is going to be so much more generous. They're like ready to laugh. The person before you bombs now the audience is offside, they're on edge. So anyways, this one time, like, I did, went up, nobody laughed. I got off stage and I sort of thought to myself, I was like, well, I had fun. and like, that's what matters to me. So it, di- it didn't bother me. I think you have to have that
0: sort of attitude and not, not internalize it. No, yeah. Don't beat yourself up yeah. over it. There's not just writing as a creative. What if people are looking at painting or some form of art? What advice have you got?
1: I think that humans are creative creatures, and I think that creativity can be very healing. So I think that if you can squeeze in a little bit of time, you know, even just 15 minutes a day or an hour a week, if there's anything that you're, you know, keen to engage with creatively, don't, don't wait, like, don't set it aside. Don't be like, I'll do that, you know, when I retire, like, just try to try to squeeze in a little bit of time uh to, um to do that as you know now like uh elizabeth gilbert who's uh the author of eat pray love but oh. yeah, people that feel strongly about that book one way or the other i i'm sort of lukewarm on that book that book's fine but she has two books i love and one is big magic which is about creativity have you read big magic no i'm yeah, but oh. i'm writing it down now it is so, good. like, and I, I was sort of like, oh, do I really need this creativity book from Liz Gilbert? I don't know. And then I, I just completely fell in love with it. And if you're into audiobooks, she narrates the audiobook, which is, she just does a wonderful job. Oh. Like, it's in her voice. But so she, her advice is to have an affair with your creativity <laughs> you know so treat it like it's this thing you're going to sneak away from everybody else and just do this thing that you're passionate about and like if you really if you really feel that strongly then you'll find time it's like you know if you're having an affair you're going to make you're going to figure out how to sneak off and do it that's what she says she's like take that approach like it's just fall in love with it i think that for me you know
0: i spend a lot of time podcasting or you know, my creative thing is about connecting people. And I really believe that it's a form of a, a talent, you know, to be able to connect people together and bring them together in whether through podcasts or whether through stories. Yeah. But I will spend so much time, even my REM sleep is filled with it. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I go, ah, oh, my, my partner will wake me up and he'll go in the morning and say, Oh, last night I figured out how to, fit, how to build the new trailer for our motorhome. And I go, oh. are you nuts? <laughs> you know, this morning it was, I figured out the electrical problems with the motorhome. I mean, I feel sorry for him if that's what he <laughs> dreams about. <laughs> but, uh, but, but for me, it's like I, I'm always thinking about how I can improve what I'm doing. And where can I find my next story? And who's my next storyteller going to be? And, and to me, that's my creative passion. And I, it's, I guess why I've written, I've moved away from writing. Do you feel that being creative
1: can be healing? Absolutely. And I, so I have a podcast as well. And one of the people we interviewed was actually an art therapist. And we talked to her she works specifically with uh, military personnel and first responders who have uh, PTSD from their yeah. jobs. And she talked about how she uses art therapy to help them sort of access what's going on inside themselves that they might not even be aware of. And I think that's the incredible thing about creativity. And this is what I say to, you know, people who are starting off writing is just let yourself let yourself be surprised by what you can come up with, you know, like you you have no idea what what might be inside you and and whether that's in the case of art therapy, you're specifically working to deal with a you know particular event or particular personal history, or whether you're just wanting to sit down and bring something new into the world. there's an American author called Sarah Santilles and she says, when we create something new, we rebuild the world, which I just think is, is so true. And, and when you're talking about, you know, you're con- connecting people and you're bringing stories to audiences, like, that's such a gift to the world. That is a huge gift that you're bringing to the people you meet and your community.
0: Yeah. What about um, books and podcasts? Do, do you have any recommendations?
1: Definitely. So Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, like I said, that's your starting place. That's going to make you just feel so excited. There's a guy from the U.S. called Austin Cleon, who he has a book called Steal Like an Artist, and he can also you, has a weekly newsletter. His name you, is Austin Kleon. Can you spell it? Yeah, K-L-E-O-N. Okay. Cleon. So and, and he has a book called Steal Like an Artist, and he has a weekly newsletter dedicated to creativity. And, and he's just all about, again, like accessing that creativity that's already inside you. And I think some people think either that they're not creative or that they were creative when they were a kid and they lost it. And that's just not true. There's so much research that shows that that capacity stays within us. It's just, you know, as adults, we might tend to get out of the habit of drawing on it. Like It's like a muscle. We haven't used it in a long time. But we can re that capacity whenever we want. Another recommendation I have is a podcast called Everything is Alive, which is a scripted podcast where the interviewer interviews inanimate objects, like just like he interviews, you know, a towel and he interviews a painting. And it's just clever and funny and heartwarming. And it just makes you see the world around you in a completely different way. So I completely recommend that. Can I tell you a secret? Oh, please.
0: Just last week, my partner and I were sitting in a cafe in a country town on the north coast of New South Wales. We could hear this voice in the background. And I realized it was talking, saying little short sentences. I realized it was a cockatoo. (laughs) <laughs> I said to him, I'm going to go and knock on the door and ask the family, can I interview the cockatoo? <laughs> I, <love this. laughs> I, am going to, I am. I am at some stage going to go back there and I'm going to ask, can I interview the cockatoo?
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. I want to I, see that interview, Karen.
0: I just thought that, you know, and he just looks at me and goes, Sorry, what does he say? <laughs> oh my God, Karen, get real, will you? I don't know, you get, but he's very tolerant. He just knows I'm a bit of a cracker myself. But oh, I love it! I'm going to listen to this guy. Is,
1: is was oh, that it's great? Austin it's Cleon, everything. Yeah, no, Austin Cleon. He's he's the uh, creativity guy. The podcast is called Everything, everything is, is Alive, a- and the guy who does it is his name is Ian Chillog. But just look up Everything Is Alive on any podcast app.
0: Oh, that is, I, I love this, that you're, you know, um, sharing all these great podcasts with us. The
1: Tragically Hip. Yes.
0: So you're they
1: like- are a classic Canadian band. They are just, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s and 2000s, like they, they, they're just one of Canada's great bands. And I don't know, if, I, ne- I never hear them in Australia. I don't think they have really made it in Australia. But they have this song called courage. And I just felt like if we're talking about creativity, it does take that little bit of courage. Sometimes if we're not in the habit of of letting ourselves sit down and access our creativity, uh, we might need a bit of courage. So I thought this song, this song is for those people. You're listening today to
0: Ashley and Blunt on the Aging Fearlessly podcast. And we're talking about lots of things creative. And Ashley has so many great ideas about getting creative. Ashley, I wanted to ask you about your podcast.
1: Just a little bit about your podcast. Who do you do this with? Well, my podcast is called James and Ashley Stay at Home and that's because I do, I do it with a guy named James. So how it came about was uh I was in this writing group and this is this is what I'm saying about, you know, I've met so many great people through writing. Most of my closest friends now are other writers. And so I was in this writing group through Writing New South Wales and James sent me an email being like, "Hey, I'm looking to join a writing group. Do you have space?" and so he joined So we met that way, but he also has a chronic illness. He has CIDP, which is a variant of guillain barr syndrome, which basically is, um, yeah, it's a chronic illness that can severely affect your life. And so we sort of, because we both have chronic illnesses and we're both writers, we sort of became quite good friends. So when the pandemic started in early 2020, we were looking for something that we could, you know, do he had moved her out to regional new south wales he'd left sydney and i was so sort of like oh i don't know if we're gonna stay in touch that much but he said what like you know everybody's having to stay at home you and i have been staying at home for years now because both because of our illnesses and also because as writers like that's part of if you want to be a writer if you want to be serious about it you've just got to spend a lot of time in the chair like you just there's a joke about how like the only thing you need to 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 write a book is butt glue (laughs) glue your butt to the chair so we both spent a lot of time at home so we thought okay well maybe we maybe this is something we could we could play around with in terms of a podcast so we came up with this idea that we were going to do this podcast it's about writing creativity and health so we look for connections between those ideas so that's for example why we interviewed an art therapist uh mostly we interview a lot of Australian authors and international authors because, we, because we're writers ourselves and that's sort of what we're passionate about. And so we, we've talked to just a fascinating array of people, some who have particular health conditions like we do. Uh, we interviewed an American author who suffers from uh, chronic pain and she had some great advice on coping with all of the lost time you know if you're someone with chronic illness you're going to lose a lot of time and how how do you cope with that and she had some great advice uh and from and you know and she's she's someone who's written multiple books her name's Ada Palmer she's written multiple books she's uh, a historian at the University of Chicago she's achieved a lot in her life but she's done that well coping with severe chronic pain mm. uh we also interviewed Nardi Simpson, who is a Yuwalari writer from Australia. She's written an incredible award-winning book called The Song of the Crocodile, which looks at her family's history, you know, as First Nations people here in New South Wales. And she, you know, when we interviewed her, she was out on the bank of a river and talking about how her, like basically the cultural gap between the, the where her book is, what it's trying to say, and how it might be like reading it as a, as a, as a non-Indigenous person. And she, she had some incredible and beautiful things to say about that experience. So it's been just, it's, I mean, this is the thing about having a podcast, is you can just email someone and be like, hey, can I ask you all these questions? And oh. they'll
0: be like, yeah.
1: Well, last year
0: in lockdown, I decided that I would approach Kathy Lett I didn't know Kathy Let. You know Kathy Let, yeah. Do you know? Mm. Uh, so, um, puberty blues. She lives in in the UK now. I just sent her an SMS. Hey, Kathy. Um, I've read your book, "How to Kill Your Husband and Other Helpful Household Hints." I think there's a lot of women right now would love to kill their husbands. How about a chat? Anyway, I told all my. Opener. I told all my friends. And they just went, oh, yeah, right, Karen. Two weeks later, I was thinking nothing more. I opened Facebook, and here's a message from Kathy Lent. Hey, Karen, love the name Aging Fearlessly. Yes, here's my publisher's name, address. I'd love to set up an interview. We did an interview on HRT, husband replacement therapy. Husband replacement
1: therapy, yes. Honestly, I had
0: 40 minutes of laughing. And oh. at the end, she invited me on a cougar cruise with her one day when, when life <laughs> opens. So I felt like if you don't ask, you don't get. And yeah. the only other, the only thing that she could have done other than that was ignore me or just say no. Yep.
1: Exactly. But I won.
0: Exactly. I think that was gold. Today in the studio with me, well, she's not really in the studio. She's in Zoom in New South Wales, and I'm on Zoom in Queensland because I've escaped. Uh, But (laughs) I'm with Ashley Kaladjian Blunt, who is a very talented author who lives here in Australia now. So, Ashley, from our conversation today, three things for our guests, three takeaways.
1: I think one is that creativity is a practice and that means just sitting down and doing it and there's such incredible freedom in that because it means you can't get it wrong there's no there's no right answer there's no wrong answer and yeah you might develop more skills in a particular area i mean my writing is a thousand times better than it was you know even five years ago but it's a practice creativity is a practice so just let yourself enjoy the freedom of that secondly we never lose our capacity to be creative, no matter how old we get, like what age we are, no matter what we've d- been doing for the past 20, 30, 40 years in our lives, we are creative creatures. And when you give yourself the opportunity to engage your creativity, and like you said, maybe you want to take a course, maybe you want to get some guidance, maybe you need some help to do that, but you are creative and you can, you can do whatever you want to do with that. And thirdly, I think I just want to remind everyone when we create something new, we rebuild the world. And right now you might look around at the world and you might feel like, yeah, we we, you know, could use some work right now. So, you can be part of that even in the, even a small a small way. Ashley Claudian Blunt,
0: thank you so much for yeah. saying yes <laughs> to coming on the Aging Fearlessly podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure today um, and just to learn more about you because when you came along to Story Room Oz, it's a quick night and there's a lot of people there and we don't really get a chance to talk so much. But I've, um, I've been wanting to get to know more about you and this has been a great opportunity for you to share your story and some of the things we can do to, I think I'll call this podcast, Get Creative."
1: excellent well thank you so much for having me today karen and thank you for all the amazing work you're doing with your creativity ah uh, thank you it's um it's
0: what fills me up oh, that's
1: wonderful so
0: to everyone cheerio for now and until next time thank you it's a pleasure so this is it for today's program It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old
2: is a choice. The sun is shining bright Sound. There's a sparkle in your eye It's not all I'm to find It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb now